Scripture reading this ending we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Bless you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, him, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this way to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. It's good to see each of you here tonight. We're glad that we have visitors with us. As always, we encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We do want to encourage all to make a special effort to be present for every service. We're very grateful for the opportunities that we have to come together to worship God, to study collectively in our classes, and it's our prayer that our time spent together is profitable. We're going to be looking tonight at the passage that Jordan read just a moment ago, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And we want to spend some time and talk about our hope beyond the grave. I know that when, whenever we talk about death, it is not necessarily a popular subject. But there are any number of questions that people have from time to time about the subject of death. And really it doesn't matter whether one is young or old, questions sometimes arise. What I want to do is encourage us to look at what God has to say in his word and to remember that for those of us who belong to the family of God, we have hope. We will one day be victorious over death. And so, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the first thing that I want to call your attention to in our study together has to do with the separation that occurs at death. And of course, when we talk about the separation that occurs at death, we are really talking about the passing, that is, the passing from one life into the next. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is addressing a concern that existed among those saints that were living in Thessalonica. Some had friends or family members that had died. And no doubt they, like all of us, were concerned about the well-being of their loved ones. And so Paul wrote in an effort to alleviate their fears and to calm their minds. And so as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, listen to what Paul said. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Some footnotes will have for the word asleep, died. And that's what we're talking about. A death has occurred. A passing has occurred. The first thing that 
I would want to do is to simply ask the question, what is death? And really there are a series of questions that all of us have. And I just want to try to answer some of the questions that we as individual members of the human family have regarding death. First of all, what is death? The best biblical definition that I know for death is found in James chapter 2, verse 26, where the, where the inspired writer, James, said that the body without the spirit is dead. Now, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you'll see that the Apostle Paul contrasts the outward man, and the outward man is simply this physical flesh that we tabernacle in while here upon earth. And so he contrasts the outward man to the inward man, the inward man, of course, being the spirit of man. Now, James said the body without the spirit is dead. And so there is the cessation of life here upon this earth. And we can go back and look at the scriptures and we read about many individuals in days gone by that have experienced death. But sometimes as we contemplate the subject of death, there are no doubt individuals who ask the question, why do people die? I guess the first time that I can recall being confronted with the subject of death was when I was about seven years of age, when my grandfather died. That's the first time to my recollection that I remember coming face to face with death. And there are young people as well as older people who sometimes question, why do we have to die? Well, death made its way into the world as you and I know it as a result of the transgressions that occurred in the Garden of Eden, going back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, there were two deaths that occurred as a result of the transgression of Adam and Eve, the first couple, who at that time were living in the Garden of Eden. God had said they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Now you can read chapter 3, and you will see that both Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden tree of the knowledge of good and evil and thus death made its entrance into the world. They died spiritually speaking. In other words, there was an alienation that occurred. There was a breach in the relationship that they enjoyed with God the Father. And so there was spiritual death and that's why God set forth in Genesis 3 verse 15 the promised seed the announcement of the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. And God already had a plan in place. When Adam and Eve transgressed in the Garden of Eden, that plan was in place and ready to be unveiled. And the announcement was made in verse 15 that God would send forth this Messiah. John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, talks about the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so... That has to do with the plan of God, the redemptive plan of Almighty God. So first of all, there was spiritual death, but then also there was physical death. You recall that in the closing verse of chapter 3, God drove Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, lest they put forth their hand or have access to what? To the tree of life, cherubims, guarded the entrance into the Garden of Eden. Now Paul said in Romans chapter 5 at verse 12, through one man 
sin entered into the world and death by sin. He goes on to say that all have thus sinned and thus all have tasted of death. All will ultimately taste of death. So when we ask the question, why do people die? Well, the answer is because of sin. If you want to know why we have human suffering, trials, tribulations, temptations, if you want to know why we are subjected to death itself, go back to the Garden of Eden, and you will find that because of the transgression of Adam and his wife Eve, death made its entrance into the world. Now, here's a third question that sometimes people will ask. Who's going to die? Well, we know that based on what the Bible has to say, all will ultimately face death. Now, again, we talk about a subject that for many of us, we would just as soon not think about, not talk about. Yet we can open the obituary pages all across this country and we will read about individuals, young and old, black and white, educated, uneducated, rich and poor, doesn't matter. Death is no respecter of persons. You and I, we are born to die. The moment you are born into this world, you begin to die. Now, I understand that there's a growing process, a maturing process that takes place in life, but ultimately, you are born to die. The Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die, after this cometh the judgment. And so death is common to all people. Job said in Job chapter 14, verse 1, Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The psalmist in Psalm 90 talks about how we may live to be he said we may live to be 70 or 80 years of age, but he said it is accompanied by strength, sorrow, and labor. It is soon cut off and we fly away. He's talking about death there. The fact that this human body will one day be cut down by death. And so in verse 12 he said, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. That is, we need to make sure that we understand we're only here for a brief period in history. Make the most of our time. As Paul would say in Ephesians 5, redeem the time. James said in James chapter 4 verse 14 that life is compared to a vapor. He said it appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so you and I will one day step out into eternity via death. Now granted, there are some who will not taste death because Jesus will come. But we don't know if he'll come in our lifetime or if he will come a thousand years from now, a million years from now, we just don't know. The bottom line is all of us will one day, we will one day face the sting of death. Here is a fourth question that I think sometimes we have that pertains to death. What happens when we die? You ever wondered? What happens when you die? There, there are a number of scriptures that deal with the subject of death. And there are also some passages of scripture that unveil the unseen world, that is, the Hadean realm. And Hades is simply that realm where the dead depart. There are two places that are spoken of in scripture that identify for us the spheres where the dead reside. In Luke chapter 16, we have an extended discussion of the rich man and Lazarus. And in that context, Jesus narrates a story of two individuals 
that lived and ultimately died. These two individuals were on the opposite ends of the economic spectrum of life, and yet both, from a common vantage point, were met with death. First, we think about Lazarus. Lazarus, of course, was said to have died, and the angels bore his soul, or his spirit, into the Hadean realm, and in that context, in Luke chapter 16, that realm is identified as the bosom of Abraham. Now, in Luke chapter 23, we read about Jesus while hanging on the cross. Of course, he was suspended between heaven and earth, and two thieves were also crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. One of the thieves made this statement unto Jesus. He said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Here's what Jesus said. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I would submit unto you that paradise is the same place as the bosom of Abraham. They are one and the same. They are the abode of the righteous. In other words, the redeemed of all ages. You and I, we can go back to the beginning of time and we can, we need, we can, we can read and study and, and meditate on the truth of God and we come to understand that those who step out into eternity, who belong to God, they go to Abraham's bosom or to paradise. Now, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus also talks about another man. And he said that this, this man was very rich. And apparently this man was not in a covenant relationship with God. And he said when he died, he lifted up his eyes in Hades, and he was said to have been in torment. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 4, the apostle Peter talks about the angels who sinned. And it said the angels who sinned were cast down to a place, and it's in the Hadean realm, it is a place called Tartarus. It is spelled T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. That is the abode of the unrighteous. And so when people die, when people step out into eternity prior to the second coming of Jesus, the righteous, they go to Abraham's bosom or to paradise. The unrighteous go to this place called Tartarus. Again, the spelling is T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. And that is the spelling in the Greek or in the original language. So here are the two abodes of the dead. Now, we've talked about the separation that occurs at death. But there is also the sorrow that is said to accompany death. Look again at verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. When death occurs, there is typically what is called a grieving process. Those of us who are left behind when we experience the loss of a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, whomever it may be, there is this overwhelming sense of grief or mourning. And you can go back again and you can look at the scriptures and you read about individuals that stepped out into eternity. And you can read about the grieving process that followed. Let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, I think about a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, of course, was the friend of God. Abraham had been married to a woman by the name of Sarah. 
And Sarah and Abraham had the promised child known as Isaac. In chapter 23 of the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that Sarah died in the land of Canaan in Hebron. And the text tells us that Abraham came to mourn for her and to weep over her. Is that not a typical response to death? Here were two individuals, no doubt, that loved one another deeply. We, we talk about the joys and the frustrations of life, the time that they had to spend together, the closeness that they enjoyed with one another, the communion that they had, not just with one, with one another, but with, with their child Isaac, their friends, their family members, and now all of that has been severed because of death. There is this separation that has occurred. And Abraham has now come to weep and to mourn for his beloved wife. The Bible tells us in chapter 23 that Abraham purchased a parcel of land. He purchased what was called by Moses the cave of Machpelah. And he purchased that, that cave as a gravesite. Now, what happens when people that we love die? What do we do? We grieve, we mourn for them. We have to make funeral arrangements. And I think it's interesting when you read the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis begins with life and it ends with death. You read about the death of Joseph and him being placed in a coffin. Well, death is a part of life. We may not like it. We may not like to discuss the subject of death. We may not want to think about it, but the fact of the matter is death is a solemn reality in this life. So first of all, we think about Abraham. And then I'm reminded of a man by the name of David. David, as, as you well know, had an adulterous union with Bathsheba, and a child was conceived. And you remember what happened when that child became sick and then later died? David, of course, was grief-stricken, and Rightly so. Any of us that have experienced an earthly loss, we understand the grieving process that ensues. But here's what David said about that child. He said, I will go to him, but he can't come to me. And again, I think that demonstrates this separation that occurs at death. But David was grief-stricken at the loss of that child and over the, the well-being of that child while he was still alive. A third example is found in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we read about two sisters of Lazarus, the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and they were close friends of Jesus. They sent word to Jesus, according to John, that their friend Lazarus was sick. Jesus, of course, understood that that sickness would lead to physical death. Now, one of the greatest miracles I believe Jesus ever performed while on this earth was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But you remember when Mary and Martha came to Jesus, when he finally made his way to, 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 to visit with them? Martha and then Mary said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. There were many of their friends and family members, no doubt, assembled together. And what were they doing? They were in mourning. They were grieving. Why? Because their brother had died. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verse 35, and I think here we get insight into the tender heart of Jesus. 
We talk about the sympathizing Jesus and the fact that Jesus can identify with us. He understands what we're going through. He can empathize with us. In John 11, verse 35, the Bible says, Jesus wept. Isn't it interesting that on the occasion of death, one of the instances that we have of Jesus weeping was at the loss of a loved one. And so there, there is a natural loss and a grieving process that follows. There's a third thing I want to call your attention to as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've talked about the separation that occurs at death, the sorrow that accompanies death, but then there is what I believe to be a sense of security that is also found in death. And so with that in mind, Look again at verse 13. Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now listen to him. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now again, we're talking about those who have died, those who have departed this physical realm of existence and they are now in what we call or identify as the Hadean realm. There are only two possibilities when it comes to death. A person could die in Christ or they could die outside of Christ. Those who die outside of Christ, they die in what I would suggest is a hopeless condition. And so I would call to your attention the hopelessness of dying outside of Christ. Look again at verse 13. Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. When people step outside this physical veil of existence into the realm of eternity, unprepared to meet God, they are dying without any kind of hope. Paul talks about those who are outside a covenant relationship with the Lord in Ephesians 2 verse 12. And he said they are without hope and without God in this world. I've asked the question before and I believe it's a pertinent question. What is the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you in this life? There are a lot of tragedies that can befall those of us who belong to the human family. We talk about some of the trials that we experience by way of of the loss of a job, financial reversals. We talk about destruction that comes as a result of tornadoes, like what just recently swept across the southeast, and many people lost their personal possessions. Some, lost, some people lost their physical lives all across the southeastern region of the United States. What is the worst possible thing that could happen to those of us who belong to the human family. Let me submit unto you, it's not going to the doctor's office and being told that you have cancer. It's not learning that you have some type of debilitating illness or disease. It's not the loss of a house. It's not the loss of a job. It's not the loss of your monetary possessions. It is the loss of your eternal soul. There is nothing worse from my vantage point based on what I know about the Word of God, 
There is nothing worse than stepping out into eternity unprepared to meet God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, the writer said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And really what the writer there is saying is this. It is a thing fearful beyond belief to die unprepared to meet your maker, to meet your God. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In that same setting, in John chapter 8, he said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. That's the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you. If you die outside of Christ, you have absolutely no hope. Paul said you're without hope and you are without God. To step out into eternity unprepared to meet Almighty God is the worst thing that could ever happen to any person who has ever lived on this earth. There's not anything more serious than dying outside of Christ. The flip side of that is the hope of dying in Christ. Paul is writing to people, listen to him in verse 14. He said, God will bring with him those who sleep, where? In Jesus. They have died and gone to be with the Lord. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21? He said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23 of that same chapter in Philippians 1, he said, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Paul was beheaded, historians say, in A.D. 68. When the head of the Apostle Paul was severed from his physical body, guess what? He immediately went into the presence of Almighty God. He went to be with the Lord. Paul lived to go home and be with the Lord. Paul understood that to be, to be in this physical veil of existence meant a separation from the Lord. But he also understood that to depart this life and step out into eternity meant to go home and be with the Lord. And so there is the hope of dying in Christ. Why do we preach the gospel? Why do we spend time trying to encourage people to become followers of the Lord? Why do we tell people, look, Christ died for your sins? Why do we encourage people to give careful consideration to what God in his word has said? This is not a book of fables. This is not some book of fiction. When we're what we're talking about has eternal repercussions. We're talking about either life or death, and not just physical life or death, we're talking about spiritual life or spiritual death. Paul said in Romans 6 verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That is the second death that John identifies in, John, or rather in Revelation chapter 20. The second death is described as a place which burns with fire and brimstone. But there is the hope of dying in Christ Read sometime Hebrews chapter 11. One of the great chapters in the book of Hebrews is chapter 11. You read about all of these great people that lived lives by faith. Over and over again, the Bible says by faith, by faith, by faith. In verse 13, the Bible says, speaking of those who live by faith, it says these all died in faith. What you and I want to do is die in faith. We want to die where? In the Lord, in Christ. Do you remember what John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13? Blessed are the dead who die where? Who die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. 
Revelation 14, 13. Let me just pause here and ask this question. Where do you plan to die, in Christ or out of Christ? If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, your soul is in jeopardy. You are jeopardizing your eternal soul as we speak. To die in Christ Jesus, to know that we have the security of going home to be with the Lord. The gospel of Christ is a gospel that is based on faith. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, verse 17. The gospel of Christ encourages us to put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God. I like what John said in, in John chapter 7, verse 46. He said, speaking of Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. Jesus Christ was and is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And he is the one who has the ability to offer us life. Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The Lord is interested in saving people. As a matter of fact, Jesus is in the saving business. The angel of God who announced unto Joseph the birth of Jesus said he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus said in Luke 19 verse 10, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Here's somebody that believes Jesus to be the Son of God. They humbly repent of every sin. They turn away from a life of sin. They willingly and confidently confess before others that they believe Jesus is the divine Son of God. And then they are immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. They rise to walk in newness of life. It is at that point in time that you have a saved, cleansed, redeemed child of God and they are bound for heaven. They are bound for the promised land. All they have to do is live a faithful life until death and as Jesus said, I will give unto you the crown of life. That is the Stephanos, the victor's crown. And so, where do you plan to die? In Christ or out of Christ? I would hope and pray that you want to die, that you, want to die, that you plan to die in Christ Jesus. So, we talk about the security of death. But there is a fourth thing I want to share with you from our lesson text. And this has to do with the scriptures and death. Because let's face it, you and I, we have never stepped out into eternity. We have never been to the Hadean realm. Everything that we know about eternity and the time to come is found where? It's found in this book that we call the Bible. Listen to what Paul said in verse 15. Again, remember Paul is writing to Christians who have experienced the loss of loved ones. And so what's he trying to do? He's trying to comfort them. Look at verse 18. He said, therefore comfort one another with these words. What words? These words that I have spoken. That is, the commandments of Almighty God. Paul, as you well know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, said that the things which he had written were indeed the commandments of the Lord. So Paul is writing 
by way of revelation. Paul had said in Ephesians chapter 3 that he received revelation from Almighty God. He took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words whereby when you read, he said you can understand. And we'll just pause there. So you and I, when we talk about death, when we talk about our confidence in death, the security of death, the hope beyond the grave, we have to look to what? To the Word of God, the Bible. All right, having said that, look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul is, Paul is writing, and the source by which he writes is whom? It's God. So he said, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now here's what Paul's getting ready to do. Paul is about to outline for us the events that will occur at the second coming of Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. And so first of all, there is what I would call the revelation of Jesus Christ. Note verse 16. For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Some have called this the noisiest verse in the Bible. I mean, think about it. Jesus will descend from heaven with what? With a shout, with the voice of an archangel. You and I, at some point in time in history, unknown to us, will hear the voice of an archangel. When will that be? We do not know, but we believe it to be the case. He said we will hear a shout, we will hear the voice of an archangel, and we will hear the trumpet of Almighty God. That has to do with the revelation of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus talks about his second coming. He said that when he comes, in other words, when this shout comes forth from heaven, when the voice of the archangel is heard, when the trumpet of God is blown, he said he will come with all his holy angels. He will be seated upon the throne of his glory. This has to do with the revelation of Jesus. Now, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3 that Jesus will come as a thief in the night, verse 10. He said, when he comes, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. He said, the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein will be burned up. But, note if you would what he says. Jesus here is setting forth the sequence of, of things that will occur at his second coming. He said, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the revelation of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. By way of sequence, those who have died in the Lord, they, according to the apostle Paul, will come forth first. Now in John chapter 5, and you have to look at all of this contextually. Sometimes we look at a certain passage of scripture in context, that is by way of chapter and the verses that are contextually connected together. And then there is also what is called thematic interpretation. That is, you look at certain scriptures in the context of the whole of scripture. Well, in John chapter 5, Jesus said, Marvel not, the hour is coming when all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. What's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He said, when they hear the voice of the Son of God, 
they will come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. That's what Paul is talking about here. The dead in Christ, they will rise first. And then he said, those that have done evil, they will come forth under the resurrection of condemnation. So you have one general resurrection, but the dead in Christ, they're rising first. Then listen to him in verse 17. He said, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now I want to, I want to come back to this in a minute, but I want us to think for a moment about the resurrection of the dead. This past week, as you well know, we buried one of our members, Brother Doc Hunt. Doc lived to be 81 years of age. As a matter of fact, he just had a birthday last Saturday. When we got to the cemetery this past Thursday, one of the things that I observed was that they had at the gravesite a vault. And it was a fancy vault. Stainless steel. And I thought, I thought about the fact that they're going to place the earthly remains of Brother Doc Hunt in that vault. That vault will then be deposited into the heart of this earth. I do not know how long the remains of Doc Hunt will reside at Autumn Wood Cemetery. I do not know how long history or I do not know how long this earth, rather, will stand. This earth may stand a thousand years. It may stand another million years. And who's to say what will happen to any cemetery for that matter? But I know this. I know that God can resurrect the physical body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have what is called the great resurrection chapter. And Paul said regarding the resurrected body, he said, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Again, one of the questions that we sometimes have, what about the resurrected body? What's it going to look like? I do not know. I can't say. Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God. Paul went on to say, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment. Listen to him. In the twinkling of an eye. He said, The trumpet shall sound. The dead shall be raised and changed. The dead, that is the resurrected dead, will come forth in what? In a new body. He said, This corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. We're talking about the resurrected body coming forth from the grave. I said a moment ago, we placed the earthly remains of Doc Hunt in the ground. I know that the spirit of Doc Hunt, that eternal part of him, has gone home to be with God based on Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Solomon said, the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken. But he said, the spirit goes where? It goes back to God who gave it. This earth may stand a thousand million years from now. There may not be anything left, physically speaking, that, is, that can be evidenced from the eyes regarding the remains of Doc Hunt. But I know this, God will bring that body out of the ground. Now let me just pause here and ask this question. The things that we're talking about, the revelation of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, the hope that we have beyond the grave, how do we know about all this? I mean, what book can you go to 
and, and read about the things that we're, that we're studying right now. I understand that there are people that have written commentaries and have written books about death and the afterlife, etc. But let me tell you what, we're reading the very words of Almighty God. Everything that you and I know about the life that is to come, the eternal realm, the resurrection of the body, etc. It's all right here in this book that we call the Bible. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and that's why you and I need to keep our noses in the book, in the Word of God. Now in verse 17, Paul said, Those of us who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I can't really fathom being alive when Jesus comes. But I believe that he's coming. And I believe that when Jesus comes, those who are alive and remain, they will be caught up together with him in the clouds. And the Bible says, thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So you have the revelation of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead the destruction of the material universe, and then the assigning of destinies. There's coming a day in which the judgment of Almighty God will be instituted as Jesus announced in Matthew 25. The Lord will be seated upon the throne of his glory. The sheep will be on the right hand, the goats on the left, and he'll say to those on the right hand, come you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on the left hand, listen to what he's going to say. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for any person. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. But those who do not live for the Lord, that's where they're going, sadly. That's why the Bible says over and over again, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why the Bible says God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants you to be saved. And God wants you to be secure in your relationship to him. Do we have hope beyond the grave? Let me just answer that in one word. Absolutely. We have definitive hope beyond the grave. And the basis for our hope is found right here in this book that we call the Bible. We sing the song, Give Me the Bible. This book right here says it all. Are you a Christian? Are you in Christ? If you're not in Christ Jesus, I encourage you, I plead with you tonight, come to Jesus. Come and let him take your life and change it for the better. Do like, do like they did on Pentecost Day. Be baptized into Christ. The Lord will then add you to the church, Acts 2, 47, and just be faithful. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to his cause, we plead, we beg you to come home. To be, to be faithful once again. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you come as we stand and sing?